before I jump into the scripture, we have, as we have done each week, as we're continuing week three of our series, Greater Than, we've got a testimony from a couple in our church, our very own David and Emily. I'm just going to turn to the attention to the screen. I'll be back for the moment. Hi, my name's Emily. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church, hearing about God, but it really didn't have any impact on my life. Um, it wasn't until I went to university when I was 18 and I was invited on something called an Alpha course and everything changed. I encountered the Holy Spirit. I encountered the person of Jesus. I encountered the love of the Father and in an instant, you know, everything just changed. Um, I went from someone who really didn't know, want to know God to someone who desired to be in the presence of God, desired to be around Christians. And um, there's so many things I could share about my testimony, but I think the one thing that stands out is from Proverbs, where it says, Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And the Lord has made my path straight in times where I couldn't see around the corner. I had no idea. But the Lord makes a way where there is no way, always. So that's my one thing that stands out for my testimony. Okay, my name is David, and my testimony is that anything is possible with Jesus. So I would have a difficult start in life, difficult youth, and my dad died quite young in a car accident, and um, that was tricky. And I had very limited expectations of life, and you know the default condition was suffering, and I felt like the church was sort of reinforcing that. It was good to suffer. And in some ways that's true, but um, I really then learned the good news over time and that the good news was that Jesus came to set me free from my burdens. I was carrying a lot of burdens myself and that when I truly surrendered to God and handed over those burdens to him, it set me free. And I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit where, yeah, I was completely transformed and I had a much more positive outlook and stopped carrying all those burdens. So that is my testimony. Anything is possible with God. Amen. Excellent. So David and Emily have been with us now just uh, for the last year. And just two weeks ago, themselves and their entire family got baptized, which is incredible, along with so 20 people. And uh, so just great, great testimony hearing that, what God is doing in the lives of people throughout the church. And our mission here at Open Arms to see people, have you seen the banner as you walk in, is to see people experience life change through Jesus Christ. That's what we do. It's what we're about. That's our mission. That's our goal. And our vision is to build a life-giving church that reaches the nation of Ireland. We're one church, two locations, and we will be many, many locations and continue to plant churches and reach thousands of people. Our, our vision, our heart is that we will see over the next hundred years a shift in the spiritual trajectory of our country where we will see hundreds of thousands of lives changed through Jesus Christ. Amen? But to bring it to here for a moment, because we're here right now. And uh, this is week three of our series, Love for You. If you have your Bibles, so open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. We are still, even in week three, in Colossians chapter one. And the last two weeks, I've been going through verses one through eight. We, we talked about remember when, remember when you heard, remember when you understood, remember when you learned it, remember the gospel. The second week, last week, we looked at verses 9 through 14, knowing God's will without knowing. Oftentimes, that's life, eh? I'm, I'm trusting in God without knowing what's going to happen next. But 
focusing on what Paul talks to us about, of being filled with the knowledge of God's will and doing what you do know, which has been fruitful and good works, fulfilled in his ways, strengthened in his power, steadfast with patience, and being joyful in the journey. So this week we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. This is honestly one of the most powerful theological, Christological verses in the entire Bible. It left me a complete wreck this week, right? I'm not going to lie. I have the last, I've been enjoying studying, going deep into studying commentaries and study Bibles. I got so deep into this scripture, I had to pull myself out, right? I had to, I had to come out. It was like inception. You know that when it goes into a dream, into another dream, and into another dream? It was like taking myself out to go, okay, God, what are you saying through this scripture for your people, for Open Arms Church? And so I'm really excited today because it's going to really strengthen your theology, which is your understanding of God, but your Christology, which is your understanding of Christ. And what we see in the scripture is about the more you focus on and grow on and go deeper in and learn about Jesus, the more you will learn about yourself, the more you will grow in yourself, because the more we are in Christ, the greater than all things, one that we serve will be able to help us to overcome all things. So verse 15 to 20, we're going to read this twice because it's so good. You got to read it twice. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creations. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have this supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him. To reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now let's just pause for a second. We each week have been going through this as a team. On Tuesday mornings we meet as a staff team. And we each, every week we read through and then we say, what did you hear from that? This week, silence. Because it's like getting punched in the face when you're reading this scripture. You don't know what's going on. It's like, so let me read it again. You ready? Let's do it again. The Son, Jesus, is the image, the picture of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the title of my message today. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. The answer to life is that it's all about Jesus Christ. He is greater than 
all things. He is the supremacy. He is superior to everything else, whether on earth, whether in heaven, whether visible or whether invisible, all people, all religions, all powers, rulers, authorities. It's all about Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. It's all about Jesus Christ. And Paul, he opens this Christological confession because that's what it is. A Christological confession with the most important and offensive truth in the world today. You want to offend somebody today, say these words. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. We misplace, misinterpret, water down or lose sight of this truth. Everything begins to ravel and fall apart. Jesus Christ is God. Verse 15 begins, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is not only equal with God, he is God. Jesus not only reflects God, but he reveals God to us. Jesus is not just the representation of God, he's the very manifestation of God. He is fully God in human form and fully divine in every way. Now, the Greek word of this word image is akon. Akon is where the English word icon comes from. It literally means to copy or the likeness. So it's a copy or the likeness. So we see that Jesus Christ is the perfect image of the invisible God. He is the exact likeness of God in the very form of God and has been from all eternity. John 1 and verse 14, verse 1 and verse 14 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, this is who he's talking about, is Jesus. Jesus Christ is God. The Word became flesh and met his dwelling among us. He's the image of the invisible God. He is God with flesh on. He is God incarnate. Now, why is this so important? It's so important because it sets the foundation for who we are. Jesus Christ is God. He is the image of the invisible God. But listen to the scripture who reveals to us who we are and who we have been created to be. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind, male and female, us, in our image, as icons, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He said, let us create mankind, the human race, you and me in our image and likeness so that we would become icons of God, so that we would reflect the image of God. Now, what we see happen as we read in the chapter 3 of Genesis, one, uh, Genesis is sin then entered the world, sin then entered our lives and smashed the mirror inside of us that reflects the image of God. And leaving us viewing ourselves as distorted, as cracked, imperfect, shameful, unworthy, broken, and insecure in our identity. 
Every single person who's born into the world with sin in us has a cracked image of themselves. We were created in the image of God, but we live cracked in our identity. Let me ask you a question. How do you view yourself? How do you see yourself? When you look in the mirror, how do you see yourself? Now, all of us, if we were to be, we may right now feel good about ourselves, but if we were to be honest, if we were to be vulnerable, if we were to be real, from maybe uh, hitting puberty into adolescence as a young adult, growing up even then, and recognizing as you become an older adult that you're still kind of a kid, and you're still trying to figure things out. But most times, most people at most stages in our lives, when we look at our image, when we see our reflection, we see ourselves and our image as lesser than. Lesser than. We don't match. We're not enough. We are lesser than. This has been a, a personal battle of mine for, for many, many years. Personal battle where I, I've struggled with insecurity and my identity. T times in my life in particular where I battle with such deep feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, where, where I looked at myself and all I focused on was my discrepancies my faults and my weaknesses. Can anyone relate to that? You, you may, you know, let's just say uh, today preach this sermon and I'm like, I nailed it. People loved it. Walk out from here. What's the first thought that comes in? You are an idiot. You are unworthy. You are shameful. You are, do you not realize that who you are and then you think you can get up there? Anyone experience those thoughts? Constantly. Constantly, the, the insecurity in our identity. And there was, a, there was a time in my life, and it probably was from my mid to late 20s, where my insecurity was so deeply rooted and so caught up in me that it almost destroyed me. It almost destroyed me. And at that time, you wouldn't have known it if you know me because I learned to fake it till you make it. I learned to create a, such an exterior, hard exterior shell that that was completely weak and soft on the inside. I learned how, to, how to, to wear a mask. I learned how to be able to cover myself and protect myself and my identity from others, but what really was an insecurity. And the problem was, as I look back now, and I, I see what the problem was. The problem was I was so focused on myself. So focused on myself. I was so focused on my achievements or my accolades or my lack of. And I was so caught up in trying to win the approval of others. Trying to, trying to get validation from man. A validation from others. A validation or, or, or whatever it was from particular people that I maybe I looked up to or tried to um, find approval in. And I'm sure that you can relate to this, but this is what happens for me. When I feel lesser than, I pursue things and people and their approval and their validation to make me feel greater than. It's like, when I, when I feel like this, I want to get to this. It, this, is, this is the very motivation that drives the world today. It's the pursuit of happiness. We pursue, we purchase, we ingest, we experience, we will do anything that we can do to make us feel greater than how we feel. 
We will, we will search the world high and low. And what happens is what we discover. We'll get it and experience it. And we do feel greater than. That's the whole thing. It's, you, it makes you feel greater than, but it leaves you feeling lesser than than you were when you first experienced it. Because those things don't last. What may have felt made us feel content or secure or greater than, all of a sudden it doesn't last because they're fleeting feelings. And we entered into this vicious cycle where we're searching and trying to find what we can never actually find fulfillment in because we feel lesser than, we're pursuing greater than, and we never feel enough. Why? Because of sin. We were created in the image of God, but sin cracked the mirror, cracked the image, cracked what we have, and now we have insecurity in our identity. You want to look at the problems in the world today? It's all based on insecurity around identity. We don't know who we are because we don't know who we were created to be. We were created in the image of God. We were created not to be God, but to reflect the image of God. That's who we were created to be. The breakthrough for me in this period of my life, and again, it's something I still struggle with from time to time. This is the breakthrough. It was not to accept myself or to love myself or look in the mirror and say, you are perfect, you are beautiful, you are amazing. Anyone tried that one before? Doesn't work. It was not to like enter into some philosophy of self-actualization. But instead, here's what the breakthrough for me was. Was to take my eyes off myself and put my gaze and my full focus on Jesus Christ. On his image. On his ability. On his attributes. On his qualities. On his characteristics. And here's what, this is my testimony, is the more I focused on Christ, the more confident I became in myself. The more I learned about Christ and Christ in me, the more I, I grew in my assurance in who he's created me to be. The more I took my eyes off me and focused on him and wholeheartedly discovering his image and his identity while also embracing my faults. Embracing my weaknesses, embracing my insecurities, embracing and thanking God that you chose me in spite of those things and you choose to use me even when I don't measure up. You chose me. Wow, that gives me confidence. That gives me assurance that that through Christ, he gives me a boldness and a confidence that I never had before. You see, we are all familiar with the constant feelings and the belief and the thought and the mindset that we're going to wake up on Monday morning with is you are not enough. You're not tall enough. You're not short enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not educated enough. You're not rich enough. You're not poor enough. You're not, you know, whatever it is, you're not, you're not qualified. You are not enough. What does you are not enough do to us? You pursue the things that would make us feel greater than. Oftentimes we pursue sin. We give in to temptation. Because that, there was, a, there was an element of solace. Something that made us feel good in the moment, but left us feeling worse afterwards. And here's what we need to come to a place in. When we hear the words, you are not enough, is respond, yes. I am not enough. But Christ is enough. He is more than enough. 
He is greater than all things. And I am in him and he is in me. He is with me. He's gone ahead of me. He is before me. He is around me. And in Christ, guess what? I am enough. In Christ, I am sufficient. In Christ, I will be. In Christ, he empowers me to do. Because in Christ and through Christ and with Christ, I am called, I am loved, I am chosen, I am empowered, I am equipped, I am qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints that I've called, uh, he's called me to be a part of. I am enough and I am able to do more than I could ever ask of, think of, or imagine. Do you, you, you hear me what I'm saying today? That this, this builds our image, not of ourselves, but of Christ. And in Christ, we discover who we are in him. I am enough. Why? Not because of me, but because of Christ. Here's a, another question to ask. How then does God view us? How does God see us? Here's a shocking truth. God sees us as we see ourselves, as lesser than. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3 as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, every single one of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following his desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The gospel always begins, you deserve to die you are lesser than you by your nature are deserving of wrath but that's the gospel you are lesser than but verse 4 because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy met us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved because of his son, you have been saved. Paul says it like this, that through Jesus, you have been reconciled. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now the word reconciled, it is an accounting term. If the income does not match what was taken in, the account has to be reconciled. It is the process of comparing transactions and activity to supporting documentation. Reconciliation involves this. Listen to this. Resolving any discrepancies that may have been discovered. When God looks at us, all he sees is our sin, our discrepancies, deserving of his wrath. That's what God sees in us. When we look in the mirror, all that we see is our distorted image, our distorted discrepancies, deformities, and deficiencies. But through the shed blood on the cross, Jesus has reconciled us. Through even discovering our discrepancies, through the shed blood on the cross, our sin has been resolved and our relationship to God the Father has been restored. 
That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what reconciliation looks like. This means that our discrepancies, our inadequacies, our insecurities, our sin in Jesus has been reconciled by making peace between us and God the Father through the shed blood of the Son. Now, here's the truth of the gospel. Now, when we place our faith in Jesus and receive the forgiveness of our sins and reconciled to the Father through resolving our sin, restoring our relationship with Him in heaven, when God sees us, He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see us as lesser than. When God sees us, He sees His Son. When God sees us, he sees the blood that was shed on the cross to make peace for us through him. Now instead, he sees his sacrifice and our sin is covered by the blood. That's the truth and the, like the truth that should set us free. No longer are we lesser than. This is the beautiful exchange of the cross. He exchanged our sin through his sacrifice so that we may be saved. We may be reconciled. We may be forgiven and set free. And the question then is how then should we view ourselves? As Christians, as believers, should we view ourselves as greater than? No. Only Jesus Christ is greater than. Here's how we should view ourselves. As enough. Enough. We are reconciled. We were lesser than. We came to the one who was greater than. And because of him, we are enough. We are enough. Owing nothing. Lacking nothing in Christ. We can now see ourselves enough. This, this means we don't need to prove or be approved. We don't need to be validated or accepted. We are loved. We are enough because Christ is enough. You see, what, what happens to us, this is the amazing thing that sets people free. When we now view ourselves as enough rather than lesser than, you know, the one that everybody around us in our world today experiences insecure in our identity, cracked in our distortion, our image of who God has created us to be, making us feel lesser than, pursuing things that are greater than, this vicious cycle, the pursuit of happiness that we will never experience. But when we view ourselves enough rather than lesser than, this is what happens. Because we are loved, we act out of love for others. Because we experience the mercy of God, now we live our life in such a way having compassion for others. This is what happens. We stop sinning and giving into temptation because we know it makes us feel lesser than. We stop pursuing happiness because we hold eternal joy in Christ. This is our focus. This is what our focus should be. We can now look in the mirror. We can now look at the shattered, distorted glass that has been smashed by our sin and now allow the work of the Holy Spirit to put together our image piece by piece as we mature in Christ. We live in Him. We grow in Him. We're alive in Him. And piece by piece, we see the reflection of Christ in us. This is the... the restoring of the image of God. It's the reconciliation of God restoring all things into him from creation 
this is the one thing that should mature us and set us free. And as Christians, we need to focus on this and remain enough. And how do we do that? Well, the answer is when we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We come to the revelation, the realization that it's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. And when you seek first the kingdom of God, all things are added unto you. When you lay down your life, you find your life. The more we grow in our view of Christ, the more we will increase in who we are in Christ. This scripture, verse 15 to 20, to give you some, go into depth and look at this as we study the scripture for a few moments is, it's all about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. We in ourselves are not enough. We are lesser than. But we are found sufficient enough in his sufficiency because of his supremacy. Because of his greatness, when we are found in him, we are enough. And Paul wrote this scripture. When you read it, and again, like it, it is one of those things that you got to read it and reread it and reread it and reread it and not making any sense. But when you actually look into the depths of it and ask the question, why? Because I believe that that's always important for us as Christians, not just reading the word as, as like a newspaper in black and white. But we need to ask the question, why? Why was this written? What was Paul saying? Why was he writing it? And here's the answer that I discovered through studying it this week is that this scripture is based on three core dangerous beliefs and arguments that were seeping into the church in Colossae and still remains big beliefs and arguments for us in the world today. Here they are. Jesus Christ is not God. He is merely a man. He was a prophet. He was lesser than divine. When he died, he died. Jesus Christ is not God. Secondly, Jesus Christ is not enough for the church. We need so much more. We need to add to Christ. We need greater religion. We need... We need more where, where Christ is. It's only part of what we need. We need so much more. And here's the third thing. Jesus Christ is not the way. There are many ways to salvation in God. For all different religions and philosophies and what you can do. Or gaining a way into heaven. These three core dangerous beliefs that slowly seep into our theology. Our church. You can see this where it makes sense is, yeah, well, you know, I hear you and this, but, but you know, the world today, the word that well, that's thrown around so much is tolerance. We should be tolerant of other religions. We should be tolerant of other faiths. We should be tolerant of other philosophies. We can be tolerant in the fact of saying, I don't need to argue those things, but we should not be tolerant in our faith and belief of what Jesus has said and is in the Bible and is truth in what we believe. And Paul was responding to this because he knew that how dangerous it was. Because when you begin to lose or misinterpret or misplace the fact that Jesus Christ is God, everything begins to unravel and fall apart. And so he responds, and it's so beautiful how he does this. He, he responds to these dangerous misbeliefs about Christ with three core truths that should be at the center of our view of Jesus Christ. And I love, he, 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 he uses imagery, he uses icons to illustrate the three core beliefs that we should have. Here it is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Christ over all creation. Christ as head of the church and Christ on the cross. Here's the first one. Christ over all creation. 
Verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, many of us would read that to say, what? so Jesus Christ was born? Well, actually, when you look into and some of the, the problems with the Bible, uh, the English translation of the Bible today is that you can look at a, the original ancient Koine Greek and then the author, whoever's translating it, can choose certain words. But in the Greek original word used for firstborn, it can refer to those who were born first chronologically, but here it refers to the preeminence and position or rank. That Jesus Christ is superior. He is preeminent. He existed from even before the beginning existed. Wrap your mind around that one. Jesus existed before the beginning even existed. When the beginning began... Christ already existed. He is eternal. He predates time and space. He was, he is, and he evermore will be. He is the preeminent and preexistent one. He is not a created being. He is the creator. He is not temporal. He is eternal. John 1, 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus Christ is God. Christ over all creation. Listen to verse 16. Paul says it, For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, does that mean that darkness, demonic forces, and Satan himself was created by God? Yes. See, this was a battle within the philosophies and the mindsets of Gnosticism within that day. And many people really struggle with this thought that you mean that God created evil? Well... God created all things. He is preeminent. It's a tough one to get your head around, isn't it? He created all things. He gave us a way that evil would not enter into the world through temptation. But at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, man gave into sin. Therefore, sin smashed the mirror cracked the distorted view and image of God in us. And therefore, we began on this journey, having to be reconciled and find our way back to God. He is the creator of all things. And here's what's really important. He is the sustainer of all things. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's all about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord over all creation. Here's the second thing. Christ is head of the church. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. And there's that use again, the preeminent one, the preeminence, the superior one from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is the source. He is the beginning and the preeminence of the church. He is the head. And as the head, he energizes the body. As the head, Jesus is the life and soul of the party. He's the life and soul of the church. This is why church is so important. This is why I've been saying for the last few weeks, church should not be something added to your life. Church should be the priority. 
Church should be something I'm saying every You should be at church every week. Why? To follow religion of man-made thing and be able to take off? No, because Christ is the head of his church. He, we, we need church because we discover through community and relationship and worship and listening to the word and our kids going to church and slowly, maybe 52 weeks over the year, and slowly year after year, we may mature in Christ and Christ in us and mature in the body of believers and we become the church and we actually discover that he's the head of the church. Church is so important. It's central. That he gave life to the church through the sacrificial death and resurrection. Central to the existence of the church is a resurrected Savior. The reason we exist and do what we do is open arms because Jesus is alive. We're not here today to have a memorial service. We're here today to create a movement. A movement of people. We're not gathering today in church. We're gathering as the church. And we go as the church. The church is the representation of Jesus' body here on earth. You see, what happened is his resurrection, his death, that's the end of sin on earth. He conquered sin and death. It's it's the end of it. He began a new humanity. There's a new way of living. And guess where it begins? In the church. Look around today. All different genders, races, cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds. The the church is the picture of the new humanity in which God is restoring here on earth. It's through the church. John Stott, famous theologian, said it like this. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. The church is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. Verse 18, Colossians 1 continues. He's the beginning of firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He was the first to be raised from the dead so that in everything and in everyone he will reign supreme. It's Philippians 2, 1, 10 and 11 says that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The church is the representation of Jesus Christ in our, here on earth means that when others see us and look at us, they should, need that, they should see that every knee is bowing in every area of our life, that we're living lives of surrender, and that we're declaring, confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even when it's unpopular, even when it's the opposite of what culture believes, even when it believes that it may become the most offensive truth To say, Jesus is God, Jesus is more than enough, Jesus is the way, the only way, and he created us in the image of God, male and female, he created them. That's it, that's the truth of the gospel of God that should give us confidence and assurance, knowing, believing the truth. Here's the third thing, I'll finish with this because we still have to have communion. I'll finish with this, Christ on the cross, Christ over all creation. Christ is head of the church and Christ on the cross. Verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell on him. Jody, if you come and help me up here. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or things in, uh, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We are reconciled to the Father when we place our faith in Jesus. We receive the forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood of the cross that completely reconciled and removed from us the sacrifice that we should make because he took our payment. He took what we deserved and he took our place. And this is central to the Christian faith because what also Paul is saying here, we read about the 
The fact that shed blood on the cross, he died for us, but he was raised from the dead. Central to the Christian faith, the belief that separates those who believe that Christ was raised from the grave and those who don't. This means that you may say, I pray or, you know, I like the Bible or, or I consider myself as a Christian or as someone who's spiritual. But if you do not believe this, you are not saved. You are not reconciled. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There were many in the church in Colossae and many today that refused to see Christ as the center. That refused to see Christ as the only source of our salvation. What happened at this day was the philosophy of Gnosticism was to take certain elephants, elephants, elements, <laughs> thank God they didn't take elephants, take certain elements of the Christian faith and philosophy without the validity and the authority of Jesus Christ. We see this happen in the world today. I'm a spiritual person. But Christ, you know, do I really believe that he is God. He was God in human form, fully human, fully divine. Do you really believe that he's the resurrected one at the head of the church? Then he is enough. He's all I need. You see, this is what they were struggling with so much back in the church in Colossae was the simplicity of the gospel. Thinking it must be more difficult than that. It must be more harder than that. Paul said, No, he is the way, he is the truth. And he is the life through his shed blood on the cross. You are reconciled. You are forgiven. You are set free. And this is the truth of the gospel. And I implore you today. Because I know what it's like. Life can happen. Maybe our theology that was set on the foundational truths of the Bible can get misconstrued. It can get skewed. And we experience life and maybe family members in our in our life and maybe going through their own identity and their cracked identity and their insecurity in their identity or fall away or, or they pick certain things and it can be offensive to say the words, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is the way. And I implore you, if any of these beliefs has been watered down in you, I implore you, if any of these foundational truths are, are not set in you, confess your sin, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and he was raised from the dead, and you will be saved. If we don't, we are not saved. So as we get ready for communion, I'm going to ask the team just to begin to pass out the elements and this is remembering and also responding to what Jesus has done for us on the cross so they're going to come now and just going to hand you a 
piece of bread and a piece of juice. And the worship team are going to come up as well because we had communion earlier on during our time of prayer so they could be free to lead us in worship. Let's give you a moment just to take that. Encourage you if you've got your spouse with you and lean in together. Hold tightly because this is supposed to be a moment between you you and Jesus ultimately, but also to do it together, to break bread together. If there's any anything that's come between you and your space that you allow God just to free that up, start again. But as I said, if there is any belief that, even as I'm saying it today, that you might just, it makes you wince a little bit. Just, I know it's true, but my goodness, it's so hard. Because it sounds so exclusive. The truth of it is, it's the most inclusive gospel. Because he died once for all. For all. There's one scripture that can get miscued. is Colossians 1, 19. That through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things. Does that mean that at the end of eternity, all things will be reconciled to him? No. It means that everyone has a way to heaven through Jesus Christ. But you need to place your faith in him by confessing with your words that Jesus is Lord and believing that he was raised from the dead. So as we do that today, and as we take this moment in prayer and in thoughtfulness, let me read a scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you that your body was broken for us. We thank you that your word says that by your stripes we are healed. I pray, God, right now for any wounds that were opened over our lifetime through religion or through our past or through people in us. God, I pray right now as you take your bread, remembering that your body was broken for us, I pray, God, that we would receive healing, healing in our mind, healing in our heart, healing in our soul. Help us today to stand in the truth, knowing that we were created in your image. Would you heal our identity today? In Jesus' name, amen. You may take the bread. Continues, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for your shed blood on the cross. We thank you that you have purified us. You have covered our sin. We thank you that by your sacrifice, when God the Father sees us, he sees the Son and not our sin. He sees us as enough and not lesser than God. I pray today that we would see ourselves as you see us, as enough. Because we are loved, help us to love because we know your mercy, help us to give it to others. Because we know your grace, help us to forgive and receive forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take the juice. And just in these moments, as the, the band begin to 
sing in the background. They will ask you to stand up in a few moments. Just take this moment to reflect. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're with someone, a friend or your spouse, just to turn beside and just maybe pray together. Ask God to be with you as you begin this week. And knowing it's all about Jesus Christ.